So we're in this series called Living Life Well at the moment, whereas uh, followers of Jesus, we are thinking, what does it look like to live a life well? And we're thinking about some practices that Christians throughout history have used and across the world have used to incorporate into their lives to live life well. And whether you're somebody here this morning, you're not sure whether you call yourself a Christian or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for years, these practices are good things to incorporate into life. And we are, as we get ready for Christmas, as we wait, we're looking at this whole theme of simplicity, living simple lives. And as we jump into this, I'd love to ask us for a Uh, for some help. If this is a spectrum, where on this spectrum is your life? Would you say that your life is very complex? Or would you say that your life is very simple? Where, if that was a spectrum, would you mark yourself? Would you say, you're at this end, life is pretty simple at the moment. (laughs) Or would you say, life is quite complex at the moment, not quite sure how to handle it, or, or maybe you're a bit more near the middle, okay? Let's ask for some bravery. I'm not going to ask everybody, but who would say your, uh, your life at the moment is near the simple end? Put your hands up if that's you. So guys, these are the people we need to look at. We need to learn from these, soak up all their wisdom afterwards. How is it they get life quite simple at the moment? Because we live in a society in which there is at the moment a huge desire to simplify life. With the soaps that we buy to the things that we have in fashion, this great quote from Coco Chanel that simplicity is the keynote of true elegance. To technology, you may remember Johnny Ive, when he launched a particular new Apple product, talked about the reason they do everything is about simplicity. To principles of design themselves, simplicity is the aim even to the point of mass movements where people are longing to simplify, have a more simple life, to declutter, to uncomplexify, if there is such a word. In our contemporary culture, there is a massive desire for a simpler way of life, whether it is because of the phones that we have in our pockets that mean we are in touch with more information than anyone else in history and more people than anyone else in history, or whether it's just the constant pressure we face to incorporate things in our life, there's a desire for greater simplicity. It's estimated that each of us makes 60,000 decisions every day, 60,000. That's a lot. Of course, most of them are intuitive that we've learned down through our years to put into practice, but that's a lot. No wonder we're exhausted. Or think about Christmas. Last year in the UK, the average adult spent £390.56 on presents. The 56 pence is important. (laughs) More stuff to fill our lives with. And of course, we may have received some of those as well. No wonder that on a marketing website I read this week that there's an overwhelming desire to give an antidote to this orgy of excess. What a great phrase. And if we are candid for a moment, many of us feel that our life is actually a bit like this. So much going on that we just can't 
do it. And we wish to simplify. There's so many information, so many things, so much stuff that the dream for simplicity is an elusive dream. So what do we mean as we talk about incorporating simplicity in our lives? Well, Richard Foster, one author, says it like this. This is what simplicity is. It's simply an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. It's something internal that changes, which results in the way we live our lives. Something inside that then comes out in what we do with our lives, simpler living. In other words, the problem with all this stuff is inside. And the Bible gives the antidote. It's this word, contentment. Contentment is the key. And of course, the opposite to that in our society and in our life is this word, consumerism. Consumerism is the heart of the human problem. Because if you think way back when to the story in Genesis with Adam and Eve, what is it? They want more. Not content with what they've got. There's a desire for that other thing. Whatever that more is. Whatever that other thing is. A better job. A bigger house. A nicer car. A more attractive partner. More well-educated kids. Better bank balance. Whatever the more is. Whatever the other is. It's about consuming more. Rather than contentment with your life as is. And Paul, the writer to this letter to Timothy, also says these words in a different place in the New Testament to the Philippian church, where he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, but I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or what. Do you see? It's not a default position for us. It is something we need to learn, this contentment. But that's good news. We can learn it. And so in the passage that Andy read to us this morning, there's six little ways, little keys. They're brief. Don't worry. Six brief things that we can learn to help us be content with our lot. And Paul is writing this letter to his dear friend Timothy, because there's clearly some church leaders that are doing the rounds who are basically saying to these Christians, if you're godly, if you follow Jesus effectively, you can get wealthy. And although this is talking about money, therefore, the principles about contentment apply across the board in all those things that we long for more. More, bigger, better, more beautiful, whatever it is. So let's think about these six key things. And the first bit of advice is this. Delight in the giver more than the gift. The giver more than the gift. Did you see how the passage that Andy read began? Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You and I both know that moment we came out 
we got nothing. Therefore, everything that we now have has come from somewhere. And Paul simply says, don't get caught up in the gift. Focus on the giver. Think about the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. You may know that story where there's a father with two sons. And the younger one basically says to the dad, Dad, I don't want you. I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance now? And he goes off on a bender and spends it all, wastes it all. And then eventually realizes he's got nothing and comes back home. Father welcomes him. But then there's also the older brother who stays faithfully by his father. And when the younger brother comes back, the older brother is furious. And the story is fascinating because the younger son originally focuses on the gifts, not the giver. He wants the father's stuff, not the father. In fact, I wish you were dead, dad. But the older brother does what? He wants the gifts more than the giver. He's not content with what he's got with the father. He still wants the father's stuff. And of course, the father gives himself and gives those gifts. That is the heart of the human problem. We want the gifts more than the giver. Paul says, you want to be content? Delight in the giver, the one who's given you all this even gave you himself that's the first thing second key to contentment is this to remember that less is more that principle of design if you know that sort of thing look again at what paul says verse 8 but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that that word clothing actually sort of means covering shelter in other words if you've got the stuff you need that's fine be content with what you've got, the stuff you need, not the things you long for. Uh, can I just say in passing, many of you will know, yeah, I have two boys, twin boys. Great. Love them to bits. And one of them, you will know, has got some quite complex disabilities. And what's fascinating about uh, Caleb is what he teaches us. Caleb will never, ever care one iota about what he looks like. He will never, ever care whether his hair's all over the place or not. He will not mind one iota if he's wearing boys' shoes, girls' shoes, holy shoes, whatever. All he simply needs is food and love and care. And of course, in our society, we think that we're more human Whereas maybe, maybe he has much to teach us. And people like him have much to teach us about what it really means to be human. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Less is more. And that desire for always more ends up eating us up. So that's the second thing. Secret to be content. Less is more. Third thing is this. Paul is quite shocking in highlighting that the gain you long for is not worth the pain it will cost to get it. Listen to his words. These are shocking in our society. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Did you see all those things, all the warnings? Trap, foolish, harmful, ruin, destruction, evil. Wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Friends, Paul is simply saying, you want to get rich? You want more? That desire for more will destroy you. And do you notice, Paul is not saying that money does this. It's those who want to get rich. The love of money, those eager for wealth. It's that desire for more where we're never ever satisfied that eats us up and spews us out and ultimately ends us giving us grief. The gain is not worth the pain, says Paul. And can I just say in passing, as a little aside, for those who have grown up or understood a sort of view of the Bible that if you follow God well, then you'll get wealthy. All will be sweet with your life. I think you need to read Paul's words very carefully. Because that desire can then consume to be the God. That I want wealth, I want health more than the giver of those things. That will destroy you, says Paul. The gain is not worth the pain. That's the third thing. What's the fourth thing then? The fourth thing is this. Enjoy what you do have. Whatever that is. And these words, I think, are quite encouraging, but also maybe some of us need to read them again and again and again. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Many of us would say, yeah, got that, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Wealth is so fleeting. We saw that in the financial crash a few years ago. We can't depend on it. It will only let us down. It could be there one minute and gone in the next. I remember my mum telling me that in the financial crash, her pension dropped by a third overnight. Some of you may have experienced that. It's uncertain. We'd go, yes, yes, yes. But some of us have forgotten the last bit of this. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Some of us have got the idea that money and things on themselves are bad and that God doesn't want us to have nice things. I don't know if you know where the, this place is. Anyone know where that is? Just out of interest. These are called the Skellig Islands. And they're just off the west coast of Ireland. They're the furthest westerly point in Europe. And they're UN Heritage Site. If you watch Star Wars, they're in one of the recent Star Wars films, I think, as well. Uh, Claire and I uh, went on a honeymoon. Not, not there, but around there. <laughs> and we took a boat trip out to see these places. And what's interesting about these is that on one of them, there's this. It's a monastery. It's obviously not in use now, but about 500-600 AD, a group of monks sailed off in their tiny little boats, miles off out to these islands, and established a monastery where six monks at a time would live for years at a time. 
Why? Because they wanted to escape the lure and the temptation of all that was on the mainland, which included the wealth, the comfort that people were aiming to try and get. And so they actively walked away from it to try and make life more hard for themselves in an amazing place where they could simply just be and pray. What's even more astonishing than that six monks at a time, is do you see right at the top, there's a sort of, well, just one step down, there's a little flat bit. Can you see that? That's called the hermitage, which is where one monk at a time for two years would go on his own with a goat and some plants and live only looking out to sea because of the way it's structured. All to escape the lure of the mainland. There's much that is admirable and laudable in that, that many of us have perhaps lost that kind of sense of self-sacrifice. But I wonder if some of us also need to hear those words from Paul, that God is the giver of good gifts, and therefore you can enjoy the things that he has given to you. They're not bad things. It's the desire for more that's destructive. And what's interesting, I did a little, uh, notice something recently. If you go up to somebody, and it's a very British thing, go up to somebody and say, I like your, you know, you like your coat, or whatever it is. How many of us say, yeah, I know, I got it half price in the sale. I didn't ask about the price, I said it was a nice coat. How many of us feel this sort of, oh, I can't enjoy these things? And maybe, just maybe, that is because we don't fully trust that God is good and does give good things for our enjoyment. And so therefore, enjoy what you have. Watch the desire for more. That's the destructive thing. But if you've got good things, do enjoy them. But of course, what's the next thing? Don't just keep them to yourself. Next secret to contentment is that giving is great gain. So for those that are wealthy, what does Paul say? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves. Giving is not only good for the people that we give to, it is good for us. Why is it good for us? It's good for us because it basically forces us to not want more because we're boldly saying, I'm gonna give it away. Because I know the desire to love money, to want more stuff will eat me up. And so giving is a good thing for you. It is great gain. You lay up treasure for yourself. So there's five things, but there's an end one, which is the context for all of this. Because up till now, you could kind of say, great, these are just things that I need to do. These are external sort of things that I need to convince myself or agree with and then put into practice. But that's not the inward change that happens, is it? Well, this is the sixth point and the context of all of this. Paul says this, the secret to contentment is to remember the big picture. Listen again for his words. Command them to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What he's simply saying is that thing that you long for, that new job, that money, that bigger car, that better house, that more lovely partner, those more well-educated kids, that better group of friends, that holiday, whatever it is, they may be really good things, but they are not life. If you're placing your hope in them to fulfill your life, they will chew you up and spit you out because they're not truly life. Truly life is recognizing God, the giver of all gifts, gave you himself, for all eternity. And if you lay down your treasure there, saying that's what I'm holding on for, that's what I'm longing for, that changes you inside and enables you to live freely, simpler, less complex lives. So friends, are you up for this? It's quite a challenge in our society, isn't it? to want to live simpler lives, not just because of stress and strain, but because we know this world is not the end. And take hold of what is truly life. So can I invite you to stand? Please stand. As we come to a close, as I invite the band up, we're going to um, pray some words together. And these words are familiar words because they're the prayer that Jesus taught his followers to pray. But I want us to pray them in the context of what we've been thinking about. To say, God, this kingdom is about you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So can I invite you to, you may find it helpful to hold open your hands if that's something you'd want to do. And as you do so, I wonder, for some of us, there are things that make our life complex that is outside of our control. And as we pray this, I want us to simply use these words to say, God, I give you this. You know it. I long for greater simplicity, but it's outside my control. Have your way, Lord. And for others of us, we know there is maybe even one thing that is connected with us this morning that we know God has sort of put his finger on, that we want to say, Lord, I give you this thing. Give me the courage to be willing to give it away or to lay it aside or to live in a simpler way.